You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. If you want to grab your Bible and join me in Micah chapter 6, we're going to be wrapping up this series that we've been walking through on that one passage of Scripture. I figure since we've got a lot of new folks, I uh, probably should fulfill a promise that I made to my preaching professor uh, a long time ago. Uh, I um, started in vocational ministry in uh, 2000 and uh, started preaching in front of the church not long after that. Um, and uh, I was, it was then that I was uh, reading John chapter 13 where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Um, and he, you know, he washes everybody's feet and he gets to Peter. And Peter says, Lord, you, you, know, uh, you, you don't need to wash my feet. Uh, and Jesus has this response to him and says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Um, and it just kind of struck me that Peter was like the leader of the disciples, right? Uh, and so he hadn't said anything when Jesus was washing the other disciples' feet. But when it got to him, he was kind of like, eh, you know, you don't need to do, you don't need to do that. Um, and it just struck me as I was reading that, that if I wasn't careful as a preacher, uh, I could very well be the one that is standing on the stage with all of the information for you guys, and none of it actually applied to me. And so I preach barefoot, uh, uh, whenever it is culturally appropriate for me to do so, uh, as a constant reminder for me that this word is for me first, and if you guys get anything out of it, then that's just a bonus. Um, as we wrap up our look into Micah 6 8, this, uh, and he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a 30,000 foot view of the book of Micah to see what he means when he calls us to walk humbly with our God. How many of you uh, uh, will say that you have ever stood in a courtroom? Anybody willing to say that you have stood in a courtroom? Okay. Uh, I've been in a courtroom twice in my life. Uh, Both of those were around auto incidences. Uh, One was mine and one was somebody else's. Uh, Mine, in the state of Louisiana, you could get your driver's license at 15. Uh, and so we had moved, I'd gotten my driver's license, we had moved back to the town of Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was on my way home from church, uh, we had, my parents and I had gone in separate vehicles, and I lost them, and I just wasn't real familiar with where places were, so I'm trying to drive and see, okay, that road looks familiar, uh, this is all again pre-Siri telling you where to go, uh, remember when you, when MapQuest was a thing, and you had to print out paper, and it would tell you, turn left and right, and all that kind of stuff, I didn't even have that, right, and so I'm paying attention to where the roads are, and not paying attention to the person that stops in front of me, and had a minor, uh, you know, bumper uh, incident with him, and in the state of Louisiana, uh, if you were, I think if you were under 18 and you got a, in an accident, you actually had to physically show up in court. And so I had to do that. And of course, the judge had all kind of snarky things to say to me. And I was just like, just give me the, you know, the stuff and let me get out of here, right? Kind of a deal. Uh, so that was my first. The second time, though, was uh, I was doing uh, home construction on a friend's house. And uh, there was a domestic d- uh, dispute that broke out across the street. And uh, it looked 
looked like there was possible physical violence uh, in danger of a couple of individuals. Uh, and if you ever know me, I'm the person that runs to the sound of gunshots and runs to the fire. That's just my personality. And so I had a big claw hammer, and I'm like, all right, that's it, let's do this. So I, I ran over there, and of course the intoxicated individual finally you know, gets huffy, gets in their car, speeds out of their driveway, and runs out into a three-way stop, clips somebody else, and then runs off. And so I got to show up to court uh, for that because, uh, you know, the, the being a witness to all of those kind of things. Uh, and this individual um, got let go because of a clerical, uh, you know, somebody didn't file something correctly. And uh, it was just kind of one of those, yeah, thanks for showing up. You can go home now. And I was just sitting there going, this is, what? what is this, right? Uh, and so, okay, my two experiences, right, one, uh, that's me, and it's clearly, uh, you know, and consequences happen, and the other one that was significantly worse, and, and it all goes scot-free. See, both of us were guilty uh, of the reasons that we were in court, but he got away with it because of this clerical technicality, and many people think that heaven works the same way, uh, that they think that... Uh, they are not as guilty as they actually are, or that there is some special exemption uh, on their behalf, kind of a technicality, if you will. The book of Micah is laid out like a court case. That's what the book of Micah is. It is the prophet Micah speaking to the nation of Judah with some alluding to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom that was there. Uh, and uh, it, it is him expressing on behalf of God, this is the, the court situation you've been brought before there. We see this in Micah chapter 1 verse 2 where he says, Hear, O people, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from His holy temple. He's called them into the courtroom. And who is it that takes the stand? It is none other than God. The one that sees all things, knows all things, and is in control of all things. Uh, this is an indisputable witness, I guess, if you will. And Micah is prophesying to the nation of Judah that God is about to bring judgment to them. Uh, if you're, again, familiar with Old Testament stuff, uh, if you were to just take the whole Old Testament at large and say, what is the theme of the Old Testament? The theme would be judgment. There is a heaviness to it, and especially the prophets and minor prophets as they wrote these things. And why? Why uh, is their judgment being proclaimed against Judah? Well, three reasons uh, that we should pay careful attention to that Micah lays out basically. This is the, the lawyer saying, these are the accusations, and here's the witness saying, yes, you, these, are, these are why you're being judged this way. Micah chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 says this, All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high places of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. 
All of her earnings will be burned with fire and all her images will be made desolate for she collected them from a harlot's earning and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Uh, the first accusation that God has towards the nation of Judah was what we might call dabbling idolatry. Dabbling idolatry. Idolatry is defined as taking something that is not God and treating it as though it was God. It's expecting something other than God to give to us what only God can give. Of course, people around the world, um, uh, even today, still practice idolatry in various uh, practical forms through temples, through actual physical idols that they offer uh, incense to or prayers to or offerings to. Uh, and the people of Micah's time used to practice all kinds and forms of idolatry in attempt to gain some kind of perceived benefit from that imagined deity, right? Anything from making your crops grow to helping your spouse get pregnant uh, or wishing to bring a curse upon your enemies. These were all reasons that you would bring an offering or bring a prayer, burn incense to uh, an idol. But the reason that we call this dabbling idolatry and not the accusation of just flagrant idolatry was uh, that it's important to remember that Judah's idolatry uh, is that they did it in addition to their faithful religious practices of Judaism. It wasn't that they stopped being Jewish. It wasn't that they just were no longer Jewish. Now we're all uh, followers of Baal or now we're all followers of Molech or now we're all followers of whatever other God uh, was there. It was, no, 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 we're still Jewish. That's We still offer burnt offerings at the temple. We still pray to Yahweh. We still practice these things. But in addition to those kind of things, we want to bring this stuff in kind of a just-in-case uh, kind of mindset they still did the sacrifices they still prayed at the temple they still observed the Sabbath and all of the religious holidays now we look at the Old Testament Jews and we think how foolish they were for not following the Lord Right? we read the scriptures and we see God's powerful hand as he delivers them out of uh, Egypt and we see God as he uh, makes the nations that war against them uh, to be uh, for them to be victorious over them and we see all of those things and we're just going how in the world can you not see what God is doing and why is it that you run away from Him to embrace these other gods? And yet, how often do we run to false gods in our day seeking to receive from them what only God gives? Everything from relationships to political or sociological ideologies to sports or recreation or hobbies to money to pornography to popularity all of these things we would never identify them in just general terms of saying oh yes that's an idol I have not created a little bronze statue of my favorite sports team uh, or my favorite porn website or, or my favorite uh, 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 
group of people that they admire me, that I've created this thing that I bow my life down to, and yet we go to those things expecting for them to provide for us some sense of meaning, some sense of identity, some sense of purpose, some sense of love, some sense of beauty that only God defines and gives to us. Anything in your life can be an idol. And you can worship it faithfully while simultaneously going to church, reading your Bible, attending small groups, singing worship, tithing, participating within the normalcy of what you might call Christianity. You can do it in addition to it. The accusation that Micah brought before the nation of Judah was not that they had abandoned God and had become this uh, group of people that identified with something else. It's that they, yes, identified themselves as the people of God and yet they were adding these other things that were subverting who God was and what their witness was to the world. Dabbling idolatry doesn't look like paganism. It looks like people who value Jesus at the same level that they value anything else in their life. Christianity is distinct in that it is not just a world religion. It is a people who have been transformed by a person and value Him above all things. And through that, it changes everything about who they are. This is what biblical Christianity is. And we're guilty of this same dabbling idolatry that the nation of Judah was that Micah was bringing an accusation against. The second thing, uh, second accusation, second crime, if you will, uh, that he brought before them, we find in Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says this, he says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds, When morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and they seize them, and houses and take them away. They rob a man of his house and a man of his inheritance. The second accusation that Micah brings before the nation of Judah was legal oppression. Legal oppression. On the outset, it seems as though this is violent oppression, right? They go down, they scheme up evil, and then they wake up in the morning and they steal their neighbor's home, right? They take away their their inheritance. And it seems as though it's almost a, a violent kind of conquest, stealing people's houses and lands. But all of what they are doing, everything that he is describing in this passage is legal, above board. The nation approves it. The legislator, the uh, the uh, the rulers of their territories are okay with everything that is happening there. Nobody wakes up and says what they have done is illegal. Everybody says, "No, yeah, that's perfectly within their rights." <clears throat> no, the oppressive nature to what God is accusing Judah of here is legal 
oppression. See, the schemer thinks about how he can take the property of someone else while he's lying in bed, and then when he wakes up the next morning, in broad daylight, he carries out the actions, not worrying about what anybody thinks, because what he's doing is legal, and it's also within his rights. That's because he doesn't have to hide. What he's doing is totally legal, above board. The laws and the leaders that the leaders had enacted were laws that were actually contrary to what the laws of God had said. People were in debt, and the rich used these situations to, uh, as opportunities to exploit greater wealth out of the poor. And it was totally legal for them to do this. They might even argue things like, well, of course I'm loving my neighbor. I loaned them what they needed. Now it's time for them to repay. And with some interest. But they were certainly not loving their neighbor well. See, this is a very distinct difference that they were not being accused of doing unlawful things in their own country. They were being accused of not loving their neighbor as God had commanded them to in the Levitical law. See, these rights were legal standings. And rights are that. They are, you have, if you say, oh, I have rights, it's saying there's laws that have stated that I have these rights. Of course, we in the United States would argue that there are uh, things that are inalienable rights that are outside of laws that don't matter if somebody passes a law that is against that. That's us arguing that there is a lawgiver outside of humanity that regardless of what anybody thinks, there is something outside of our society that speaks this kind of truth into it. It. But to state that I have rights in my country and in my society is to say that there is a, a system that is in place that I can stand on these rights. And of course, we have certainly heard a lot about rights over the past couple of years, right? Like rights are in everything, every news article, every political standing, everything that's going on. And we should be mindful that our rights never outweigh our responsibility to love our neighbor. Our rights never trump God's law and command to love your neighbor as yourself. See, the accusation of... It wasn't just the accusation of oppression. It was the accusation of legal oppression. Them subverting uh, based upon what they believed their rights were to oppress people in a way that was unloving. Legal oppression doesn't look like abusive slavery. It looks like failure to act with the ultimate good of your neighbor in mind. That's what legal oppression looks like. The third uh, thing that was brought before them, uh, Micah says in Micah chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. 
When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry, Peace. But against those who put nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. Their seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. The third accusation of the nation of Judah was that they had forsaken true uh, prophetic teaching. They had forsaken the, the true prophets that actually said, thus says the Lord, and they had embraced or loved feel-good preachers. They would embraced those that said what they wanted to hear. That's what he was saying, specifically when he says, uh, they say to those who have something to bite in their teeth, peace. In other words, they were paying these false prophets saying, hey, tell me something good, and giving them something to eat. And they said, awesome, peace. It's all going to go well for you. Things are going to work the way that you... Life is going to be good. Your enemies are going to cower before you. You're going to have blessing. Your crop's going to grow. And I'm just... And thus says the Lord, right? But to those who they didn't pay, they they would turn around and say, oh, no, no, no. It's not going to go well for you because you didn't love me and you didn't embrace this. So it's going to go bad for you. Your enemies are going to vanquish and your neighbor's going to conquer you. and You're not going to have kids and all these kind of things. Rather being the, those that actually just simply said what the Lord said for them to say. The preachers of that day were willing to say what you wanted them to say so long as you paid them. But if you weren't willing to pay them, they would preach against you. We talk a lot in our present day, one of the major exports of Western Christianity is a thing called prosperity gospel. And prosperity preaching has been around a lot longer than we're willing to admit, actually a lot longer than even the past couple of decades. This idea that if you just believe it, if you just, uh, you know, if you'll just give, then good things will come back to you kind of, uh, of a message. And the people were listening to them in droves because they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. They, they almost created an echo chamber around themselves that says, how do I know that God is blessing us? Because the, the people that I'm talking to are saying that God's blessing us, so therefore we know that God's blessing us. And, and that's the way that it's going to work rather than actually listening to the Lord and what He had to say. They embraced what they uh, wanted to hear. In the New Testament, they called this false teachers that tickled ears. That's the way that the New Testament described this. And one of the great challenges that we face today is that regardless of what you believe, regardless of what your background is, regardless of uh, what your um, theological background is, we can probably find somebody that will preach what you want to hear. If, if you stand completely against Scripture, you'll find somebody that will... Uh, metaphorically open the Bible and preach what you want to hear, even if it is exactly opposite what the Scriptures actually teach. And if the God that is preached to you never confronts or challenges or rebukes you, then you have found a preacher who is pre preaching you as God and not God as God. 
If, if, you have, if, if when you think of God, if He doesn't challenge you, convict you, point to things within you that say, this is not right, then what you are worshiping is an image of you and not an image of God. The false teacher never calls you to holiness, never confronts sin, and always has you as the chief object of your greatest satisfaction. Ultimately, the message is just try harder and be the best you. And I make a terrible Savior for me. (laughs) That's what I found out about me. I am terrible at being a Savior. Whereas the prophet of God always brings you before the Lord and doesn't say, look at me. They just say, thus says the Lord. This is the truth of who He is. He's revealed Himself and it's not my job to change who He is. And ultimately, it's not my job to change you. It's just my job to say, this is who God is and this is who we are. What do we do with that? Loving the feel-good preaching doesn't look like a prophet making false predictions. It looks like an echo chamber that repeats the lie that our hearts already believe. I think this is actually one of the great challenges that we're dealing with as a society around this issue of um, uh, uh, social media is that we create an echo chamber of people that say the same things that we believe. And so then we believe that everybody, you know, of course everybody's thinking this. And of course this is the way that it is. And we're never actually challenged. And we're led astray. That's a dangerous thing. And to these three sins, God says they are guilty. That's what He says. Micah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, He says, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Aride, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case against His people. One of the things that I I, uh, find fascinating about Scripture is oftentimes uh, you'll you'll hear Christian circles that are kind of preaching against the world. The Scriptures actually don't preach against the world that much. They actually speak to the people of God in, in ways that are convicting to say, What are you doing? Right? You've seen, you've heard, you've understand. And then they tell those people of God to then go and share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ into this world. The prophet Micah anticipates our natural response to this kind of an accusation. If I know that I'm guilty in this kind of way, how do I make this right? If this is true of me, if, if any of these things, if I have been a dabbling idolater, if I have uh, not loved my neighbor well or engaged in legal oppression, uh, if I have embraced a, an echo chamber of false teaching that embraces or builds up my uh, uh, prejudices or my preconceived notions rather than actually listening to what God is saying, how do I make these things right? And he says in, uh, he anticipates this and he answers that like as if it's us. In Micah chapter 6 verse 6 he says, With what shall I come to the Lord and, uh, and bow myself before God on high? 
Shall I come to him with burnt offerings? That's biblical, right? With yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams? Now we've gone like this is a uh, a curve that's you know ex- become significantly more. What about ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I come and do all of the things in abundance that He tells us to do as far as bringing offerings before the Lord's sin atonement acts there? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No religious action is enough. That's the, that's the answer of this. No amount of prayer. No quantitative church attendance. Tithing, mission work, evangelism, or any other activity is sufficient to atone for our rebellion. We don't stand before God and He holds up a giant scale. And we put all rebellion on one side and all righteous acts on the other side and we just hope that it's enough to tip the scale. The reality is my rebellion outweighs every other action in my life combined. If it were so that we could outweigh those things, then surely these actions were, but God tells us what He requires. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Walking with humble or walking humbly with God can also be translated in a more wordy way. Oftentimes that's the way that translations work, but a way that I think helps us get at the heart of this part. It can be translated as this: Make sure that you are being careful to live in the way God wants you to. Make sure this intent nature, intentionality, make sure that you are being careful to live the way your God wants you to. When was the last time that you thought about being careful with your walk with the Lord? Not just thought about your walk with the Lord, not just thought about what it means to be a Christian, not just thought about the good things and the bad things, but thought intently about, am I being careful with my actions? Were you being careful when you were gossiping with coworkers this week? Were you being careful when you were joking with your friends? Were you being careful when you were selecting what you were going to watch on Netflix this past week? Were you being careful to live the way that God has showed you 
how you ought to live with Him. That's what he's saying here. He says to walk humbly with your God. It's, it's tying into this fact that he is, uh, he is your God. He's not just a God. He's not just a idea, something that we ascribe to, but there is a union nature to it, this, this uh, sense of being joined together with Him, that He is ours and we are His. The New Testament writers talk about this in terms of union with Christ, uh, that the Holy Spirit indwells our heart, that we are with Him. He's not just somebody that we know. He's not just somebody that we ascribe to. He is our God that we are walking with Him in. Uh, And are we being careful as we walk with Him, humbly submitting to the reality that He is revealing to us, this is what it means for you to be My disciple. This is what it means for you to be uh, My son, My daughter. To be somebody that has been transformed by the Gospel. Are we being careful in this? God's accusation of uh, Judah through the prophet Micah uh, is that they were not being careful to walk with him, they weren't just throwing out everything that it meant to be a follower of God, to be the people of God, to be a, a Jew following the Jewish ways. They weren't abandoning those things. They just weren't being careful. They were just adding little bitty things into the mix that had nothing to do with what it meant for them to be the people of God. They were instead being careless, dabbling in idolatry, valuing their legal rights over the true good of their neighbor and not listening to sound teaching. So what's wrong with Christianity today? I believe it's that there are an awful lot of folks who are not being careful with the way that their God wants them to live. And this includes me. Am I being careful? Attentive? Am I being careless with my words? Both spoken out of my lips or spoken out of my fingertips? Or thumbs, I guess. (laughs) Am I being careful with our words? Are we being careless in our presence on social media? Because that is a part of you. Are we being careless with our friends? Careless with our families. Careless with our finances. Careless with our habits. To be careless with these things is to not walk humbly with our God. If we're not being careful in these things, it's saying I'm not walking humbly with Him. I might might at best say that I'm trying to walk with Him sort of, kind of, but kind of in this, the path of like, yeah, he's over there and I'm over here and I kind of generally know where we are. Whereas to say, let me walk carefully with you. Let me follow in your footsteps. Let me be close, as close to you as I can so that I uh, know what it is that you have for me and how you want me to live. How do we know that we're being careful to live the way that God wants us to? That's the question that we're going to ultimately try to answer uh, as I wrap this up. How do you know that you are being careful to live the way that God wants you to? And make no mistake, God has a way that He wants you to live. Not in a legalistic sense, but in a character sense. That, the, that who you are in Him translates into everything that you do, everything that you say, 
Everything that you feel, every way that you respond, every day that you work, every friendship that you have, your relationship with Him changes everything. Four things. Four things. Four things. Respond to the gospel. That's the first. Respond to the gospel. I think it's interesting at the end of this of how how shall we be made right with him? He says, you know, shall I shall I bring burnt offerings? Shall or would you be satisfied with uh, a thousand burnt rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? It goes up and up and up. And then he says, what if I were to bring even my firstborn son as an offering? Would that be enough? And of course, the answer is no, because that's that doesn't work. Careful living begins by admitting that we by nature live carelessly. You can't begin to be careful if you don't acknowledge the fact that you're not careful. That I'm not careful. That if I don't pay attention to my words, I say things that I regret. If I'm not careful with my thoughts, I think things that do not build me up. If I'm not careful with my friendships, uh, they, uh, they begin to uh, uh, morph into something that is unhealthy, either in codependence uh, or in the sense of like, uh, what will they think of me and this kind of unhealthiness rather than a, how are they doing in a building up kind of way. And in all of these things, I can't be enough. Because tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to screw up again. I'm going to think wrong, I'm going to speak wrong, I'm going to act wrong, and I already know that. So I can't walk humbly with my God because I know my carelessness. And here's the beauty of it, God knew that too. Right? I love the statement that when God calls us to something, He already has factored in our stupidness. Right? He knows that Chris Cop's going to be an idiot. And so... God acted in faithful love to do for me what I could not do for myself. That all the the words that I've said and the actions that I've done that dishonored God, that there was nothing that I could do to take those away. And you know this, if you've ever said something and the moment it came out of your mouth, you're just like, because you know know it's going to hit harder than you wanted it to and it's going to cause wounding and scarring that you cannot undo. You can say sorry, but you can't unsay the words, right? And into this, God sent His one and only Son. Because I could not offer up my firstborn for my sin. But God could offer up His only begotten Son for me and for you. To believe the gospel, to respond to the gospel is to understand the fact that we are by nature careless and God was careful for us. That He loved us even while we were being careless, even while we were being rebellious. He sent His one and only Son to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserved, to be buried and rose again by His power to show us that our penalty of sin is paid for. That's what, the, that's what the gospel means. That's what the resurrection means. It's not just, wow, we serve a zombie Jesus. It's to show us that God has conquered sin. That the wages of sin is death forever. And in Jesus, 
It says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That our rebellion would be substituted for His righteousness. And if you want to walk carefully with your God, you have to respond to the Gospel. Nobody responds to Christianity. Nobody responds to Jesus in indifference. It's either, it's the, it's the pearl of great price. It's the treasure buried in the field. It's the thing that we go, I want to sell everything to believe this. Or your heart is hardened against it. There's no no movement. It's movement in one of those two directions. And so if we are to be careful in the, to live the way that God wants us to, we need to know that He sent His Son so that we would respond to His love and embrace the reality of what the Gospel means for us. That's number one. Number two is to listen to His Word. To listen to His Word. He begins this passage that we've been saying for the last three weeks. I have told you, O oh man, what is good. I've told you. I've told, I've, it's not, you know, I'm not testing you on stuff I haven't taught you, right? I'm not testing you on the footnotes or the, the subtext of the, the passage that you probably didn't read. I'm, these are things that you know, right? God has given us His Word. He's given us uh, the story of His redemption throughout history. What are you doing to carefully learn His Word so that you will know His will and walk in His way? To be a Christian means to be a person of the Word. It's not just a thing that we check off on a census data. It's to say, if God has said, then that's what I want to, where I want to be. I want to be in His Word. I don't want to know what people's opinion of it is. I want to know what did He say. And I want to be careful about it to grow in it. To listen to His Word. Third, to submit to His Spirit. To submit to His Spirit. The idiom that is used here of walking in Scripture always means live, right? Uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. That's that. It's just this picture of you're going through life. You're living. You're walking. But I like the image of walking because it is action and movement. I think for a lot of people, Christianity is just kind of like an event, a moment. Yeah, I got my fire insurance. I'm, you know, I'm part of this thing, and then I just identify as a Christian. And there's no movement. There's no walking. There's no engagement. It's just kind of yeah. There's this thing, right? Christianity is not what happens on a Sunday morning. It's not what happened at a, at a Bible camp for you. It's, it's not what happened at some revival meeting. It's not what happened sometime a long time ago. It's what's happening today as you get up and interact with other people and leave from this place and, and make your afternoon plans and go to work this week and engage in your family and engage in your friends. That's what Christianity, uh, where Christianity happens. And in the midst of this, we can only be careful to live as God wants us to live if we are moving with Him. God's Spirit dwells in us, in everyone that is born of God. And so as we are carefully walking with God, we are learning His voice. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit speaks. It is that, that voice that speaks into you and says, Don't. Right? Stop. 
It's the one that prompts you to say, hey, you need to call so-and-so. Hey, you should check on them. Or it's that moment where a spiritual moment comes up in a conversation and the Holy Spirit prompts you to say, say something. All of those are walking with the Spirit, learning His voice. He's not just a God, and He's not just God. He is our God. He is in relationship with us. And the funny thing about listening to the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit gives you that prompting, all of those promptings have a shelf life of about 10 seconds. And anything after 10 seconds is just disobedience, right? If the Holy Spirit says, you need to do this, and you're like, uh... And there comes a point in time at which you're going, I'm willfully saying, yeah, no, I know that's God, and I just don't want to do it, right? It's like all the little kids, when you say, hey, do this, and then they dilly-dally. And, and our first statement to our kids has always been, waiting to obey is just like disobeying, <laughs> Right? That's the, it's this heart response. And so it's us being careful to listen and go, okay, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know this is you. And we step in obedience to that and seeing what God does in your life. Submitting to His Spirit. And fourth, walking with other Christians. Being careful to walk with your God means that you are going to be walking with other Christians. You are not the only one that God has called to Himself. In Western Christianity, it is this unique thing that we're trying to speak against because the Scriptures speak nowhere to this. We are the most individualistic culture that has ever existed on planet Earth. And so we talk about our Christianity and our walk with Jesus and our hour is singular. It's really my walk with Jesus and my quiet time and my spiritual life and my spiritual journey. And we think it's all about us and heaven forbid you should ever say anything to me about my walk with Christ. That's none of your business. And friends, that's nowhere in Scripture. The hours and the yous, they're all y'all. They're all plural. This church, this group of people who have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus desire to walk with you as we carefully walk the way that God wants us to. And so to walk carefully with our God means that we have to first realize that we are walking carelessly and respond to the Gospel. We need to listen to His revealed Word we need to listen to the Spirit. And here's the thing, the Spirit will never contradict what God has said in His Word, right? And from that standpoint, as we are walking with other Christians, you can say, well, what if they lead me astray? Because that never happens, right? <laughs> Christians always get it right. We always, we're always helping each other out. So that's why we always anchor ourselves back through the Holy Spirit back to His Word. This is our anchor. This is our standard of living. So here's my pastoral challenge to you. This would be what I would encourage you to do. And this is going to be uncomfortable. Oftentimes people after a service will say, Pastor Chris, I really, you really stepped on my toes. And I'll apologize because I was aiming for their heart. <laughs> um, so here's the pastoral challenge. Find someone today and confess an area of your life that you have not been careful 
to follow the way that God has for you in it. Find someone today and confess an area of your life that you have not been careful to follow the way that God has for you in it. And then pray for one another and encourage one another in that area. Because the reality of it is, the accusations were brought against Judah 2,700 years ago are still true of the accusations that could be brought of us, the people of God. We've dabbled in idolatry. We valued our rights over the true good of our neighbor. And we've taken the things of God and we've gone to people that tickled our ears with them rather than confronted us with the truth that God has a better way for us. I say this quite often that uh, being a surgeon is not being kind. Right? Surgeons are not kind. When they cut in, it's visceral. It's scarring. It's wounding. That's not kind. But it's good. God works in our lives in ways that oftentimes are not kind. But they're good. We're called to walk graciously because we've been given grace with each other in a way that is good. It doesn't always feel kind. But it's good. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You that it is true that this this prophetic message to a people that have been dead for 2,700 years is as true for us today as it was for them. Lord, we know the outcome of their response to this. That the vast majority of them didn't obey it, didn't receive it, didn't believe it. Assyria came in. Babylon came in. And judgment fell. Lord, we stand here today as Your people with an ear to hear what it is that You say to us. Lord, we stand here in light of the Gospel, in light of Jesus. We have more information, more revelation than they had in their day. And yet we're still tempted. We're still tempted to do the same things that they did. So Holy Spirit, we're asking for Your help. If today, God, there's someone here today that has never responded to the Gospel, they've never believed it, it's just an ideology, it's just a bit of information that, yeah, there are Christians that believe this about Jesus. So Lord, it wouldn't be something that is just uh, stuck in their head, but it would be something that transforms their heart. God, would You convict us of our love for Your Word that You have spoken to us and help us to be careful to learn what it says and grow in it. That if the God of the universe has actually spoken to us in His Word, that should be the one thing that we are anchoring our lives into. And God, would You help us to hear the Holy Spirit as we walk through life, that You would lead us and guide us, leading us in Your truth, uh, making Your Word come alive to us, convicting us of sin, and leading us to do what it is that You've called us to. And God, help us to be intentional in the way that we walk with other believers. 
not as carelessly as we so often do, but that we would see that we have a stake in eternity in the building up of your kingdom and the showing this broken world the majesty that is our God. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.